doing a, a survey of the Old Testament. Continue today, and today's lesson is Exodus through <clears throat> Deuteronomy. So hold on to your seats. We're about to go. Right? Uh, got a lot of stuff to cover. Um, Adam had Genesis last week, and that book covers probably more than 2,000 years. Um, I'm covering four books, but it only covers about 40 years, right? So it's, a, it's all condensed in one time period. One thing, um, so remember uh, that our aim in this study is to have a bird's eye view of Scripture. Uh, we're not diving deep. We can't as a survey. Um, we, what we want to do, the reason for this is we want to get a harmony of Scripture and how every passage and every book flows and works together. Uh, to complete the beautiful gospel story. We want to see the, the central theme, the scarlet thread that's woven throughout every, every passage, every, every book. Um, and, and part of the reason we want to do a survey is it helps us to know the whole Bible so that we don't fall prey to false teaching um, and helps us to see that Christ is in all of Scripture. So let me, get, let me pray and then we'll, we'll dive in. Lord God, we thank you for all that you do for us, your grace in so many ways, how you love us and lavish that love upon us, how you called us even um, in spite of the fact that we do not love you and did not love you, um, could not love you. We thank you for providing Christ who provided the way. Help us, Lord, this day to honor you and to worship you well. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so I have a handout there for you. We're going to be touching to the, uh, going to the handout here and there, so um, I'll be pointing back and forth to it. Uh, so Exodus, all right? So the story here at Exodus, everybody, everybody probably has some familiarity with it, but uh, the it's, it starts off where Genesis left off, right? As far as the timeline goes, uh, or about four hundred years later. Um, the great, the theme of, of Exodus is deliverance. Uh, when uh, Israel went into Egypt, they were a family, Jacob's family. When they leave Egypt, they're a nation. So when they went to Egypt, they were a family of 70 members. And when they leave Egypt, they have over 2 million people. Right? So in that 400 time period, 400 years of, of, of time that they spent in Egypt, started off pretty good. And then uh, there came a new king, a new pharaoh. Um, and I can go into greater detail about that, but we won't today. But a new pharaoh came in who did not know Joseph and then enslaved them. So God made, before, before this, God made two promises or made promises to Abraham, right? He, he promised that God, or that Abraham's, uh, that he would raise up a nation through Abraham, that he, he would bless the nations through him. He also, when um, uh, Jacob went to Israel or to Egypt, um, he promised that in 400 years, they would come back to the promised land. Um, and so Exodus relates how God fulfills his promise to Abraham by multiplying his descendants into a great nation and then redeeming them from a land of bondage and bringing them to the promised land. Um, at the foot of the mountain, uh, the holy mountain, Mount Sinai, uh, he bestows upon them the promises of a covenant and provides them with a rule of conduct that they may lead a holy life. So he gives them the law. 
And then also sanctuary provides the tabernacle where they can make offering for sin um, and renew their fellowship with God. So the key character in, in this book is Moses. Um, let's look at the, uh, the outline. Um, so we have Israel and Egypt. Uh, so they're, they're, uh, they're persecuted. Uh, there's a persecution of the people. And then there's the preparation of a deliverer. So Moses was raised up as a prince, and then um, he needed to be humbled. Um, and so he was led into the wilderness where he um, was a shepherd and learned how to lead a flock of sheep, uh, a stubborn flock of sheep, so that he can now lead a stubborn uh, nation. Um, the mission, you know, we have the mission of Moses to Pharaoh, to go to Pharaoh. We have the nine plagues that were visited upon Egypt, and then uh, culminating in the Passover. Um, and we see very clearly in the Passover the presentation of Christ. And we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. So then you go into uh, the rest of it there. Part two, Israel goes from Egypt to Sinai. You have the Red Sea, the parting of the Red Sea, the miracle that, 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 uh, that happened there, the destruction of the Pharaoh's army. And then uh, a large chunk of the book uh, is, is focused on uh, the legislative aspect of things. Um, and so that's where we have um, the Ten Commandments. We just did a study on the Ten Commandments, so that's where the Ten Commandments come in. Um, the law is given. You have the ceremonial um, aspect of, of rituals and things, how you're supposed to worship God in the tabernacle. They have the priesthood, service of God, things of that nature. Um, and uh, we see that um, you know they appoint priests and things of that nature. Uh, so the will of God is despised. They they um, they have the tr great transgression. That's the the calf that they they build, um, and then God punishes them, renews the covenant. And then um, they have the tabernacle, the beginning all the way to the end where they build the tabernacle in Exodus. All right. So I covered Exodus pretty quick. Where do we see Christ? <laughs> where do we see Christ in Exodus? Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, the burning bush. Um, when, uh, when, when you read that passage of the burning bush, uh, it says, God sent an angel, sent one, to the bush. And then he spoke to Moses from the bush, and he said, declared, I am God. Right? I am. So that was Jesus, pre-incarnate Jesus, approaching Moses. Um, and, uh, and he says, I am. Right? Now, how do we see that in the New Testament? Jesus many times said, I am, multiple different times. But one time in particular, where power was delivered when he said it, was in John 18, uh, 4 through, through 6. That's, during, uh, that's when he's in the, um, uh, when he's about to be betrayed. They're coming to arrest him, and they say, where is this Jesus of Nazareth? And Jesus answers, I am. And what happens? They all fall backwards. The power of his word saying, stating, I am. Okay? Um, then we see in Exodus 12, we see the Passover lamb. Right? So Passover. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of the Passover lamb. He is the lamb, uh, the substitute. Very clear picture of Christ there. We see Christ in the water from the rock that was um, that Moses um, hit the rock and water came out. Um, Jesus says to the, um, to the woman at the well that he 
is the living water. We see Jesus in uh, the manna. Uh, Heaven-sent manna is a clear prefigurement of Christ. You see that in John 6, 48 through 51. Jesus says he is the manna from heaven. He is the fulfillment. He is the bread of life. And then um, the tabernacle. So 11 chapters of this book are devoted on the tabernacle. And we see all different aspects of various instructions, how they are to worship God and, and, and such. Uh, Hebrews 9, 1 through, uh, 1 through 15. Um, I'm actually doing pretty good on my time here. So let me, uh, yeah, we'll read that one. So Hebrews 9. One through 15. Now the first covenant had regulations for worship and also had an earthly uh, sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up. In its first room were the lampstand, the table, and the consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had the golden altar of incense, the gold-covered ark of the covenant, the ark that contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, the stone of the tablets, the ark of the uh, above, and above the ark were cherubim of the glory of God, showing, shadowing the atonement cover. But we cannot discuss these things in detail. Um, or we can't. Uh, so that was appropriate. Um, how far do I want to go? Um, um, let's see. So then go to verse 11. When Christ came as high priest, the good things that are already here went through the greater and most perfect tabernacle that is not man-made. That is to say, not a part of this creation. He did not enter by the means of blood of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered by the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption, the blood of goats and bulls and ashes of a heifer, sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctified them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit have offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from the acts that led to death so that we may serve the living God. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. All right, so we see there that Jesus is the fulfillment, very clearly, the fulfillment of the tabernacle. Um, uh, He is the the lamp, uh, and he says that. uh, He is is the light um, that you find in the tabernacle, the lamp. He's the bread that you find in the tabernacle. He, He provided all of that. All right. Let's go to Leviticus. Um, We could have covered a lot more, obviously, but uh, again, this is a survey, um, a bird's eye view. Leviticus. All right, so in Leviticus, let's start with the outline there. Um, Leviticus is written, um, your background is right there at Mount Mount Sinai. Um, God is speaking from the tabernacle. Um, We have um, holiness as the theme Uh, You'll see the word holy, you'll see the word blood, life before the Lord, all throughout the book. 
Um, the key passage, the culmination of the, of the book is, or the key passage is, is atonement, uh, Leviticus 16. Um, and then if you do a quick outline of the book, uh, and, and all of this, by the way, is from some resources that Adam provided the first day. We can happy to provide these resources as well. So I didn't come up with this. <laughs> so um, I'm, just, I'm just teaching it. Um, but uh, you have the laws, all right? So Leviticus is all about laws, right? And they can break it down into six categories here. You have the laws for offering, right? So you have the burnt offerings, the meal offerings, the peace offerings, sin offering, trespass, and then the offering of the offerings. Um, the first three offerings are um, offerings for those who are in communion with God, already in communion with God. There are offerings of praise. So you have the burnt offering. That's where they would take certain animals that, that, were, that were prescribed, and they would burn the entire thing all the way down to ashes. Um, and that was um, an, an offering to signify their devotion to the Lord that he owns it all, that all of their possessions, their entire being is belonging to the Lord. Then you have the meal offering. Uh, the meal offering um, was uh, where certain parts of the animal would be burned the same way, but other parts would not. And that would be offered, and the priests would eat that as a meal. Okay? Uh, that's, that, would, that would provide for the priests. And then you have the, uh, and that signified um, our service to him. And then you have the peace offering. Same types of animals were used in the peace offering, uh, except on this, only the fat and the um, uh, and the offal of the animal were you were burned to a crisp. So they burned that to ashes, but the rest of the animal would be given as a would be would be consumed by the priests and the one doing the offering. All right, and so that signified. Um, uh, you know, joy and gratitude and peace, communion with God. And then you have um, the next two offerings, sin and trespass offerings. Those are for those people who wanted to gain communion with God, right? Um, so they're offerings of pardon. The sin offering, you had to use, you couldn't use just any goat. It had to be an animal without blemish, right? Um uh, hands were laid on that animal. Sins knowingly committed were put onto that animal. Uh, um, and, uh, and this was for wrongs done that you knew about, sins that you came and you confessed. Um, trespass offerings were very similar to sin offerings, except they were for those sins of omission, those sins that maybe, I, you know, I probably sin here, I'm not really sure exactly what it is, but Let's cover it, right? And so that's what the sin of trespasses was for, right? Um, significance for these offerings were um, forgiveness is to be found through God and God alone and through sacrifice, right? Uh, Romans teaches us that the wages of sin is death, right? Here it is right there. Ephesians 5, 2 says that Christ gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And then we have in uh, the second section here, laws of the priesthood. So you have consecration, you have inauguration, and then you have the transgression. Um, you know, the, the Aaron becomes the priest, and then his sons um, are helping him. And then uh, in chapter 10, we have the story of uh, two of his sons there who um, cut some corners 
and uh, and what they're doing and how they're doing the offerings. And what does God do? Smites them right away. Uh, they're burned up. All right. And so um, uh, what we learn in that is you cannot treat the ordinances of the Lord lightly. Right. So um, follow it. Um, and then we have in the next one laws of purity. Uh, so be careful what you eat and touch. Purification of, of women after childbirth. Test and cleansing of leprosy and then unclean bodily discharges. So there's quite a few things going on here in these passages, but the, um, the main thing, the takeaway uh, that I see is um, the requirements God gave in these passages were to ensure that the people of God were a clean people. Cleanliness is commanded by God in every part of our being. So God likes us to be clean and orderly. Okay? Um, and then you have uh, uh, chapter 16 and 17, which is the, uh, the zenith or the, the, the climax of this whole book, you know, the, the central focal point. You have the Day of Atonement. Um, this Day of Atonement was the most important day on the Jewish calendar. Uh, it's the 10th day of the 7th month. Their month starts in April, so it's October uh, 10th um, would be the date in our calendar. Um, on this day, um, the need for atonement was pressed down upon the people of God. Uh, holiness was um, felt. Holiness of God was felt by the people of God. Their sins accused them greatly on this day. Uh, they realized again their need for sacrifice, the need for substitution. They realized on this day that God, amazing by his amazing grace, provides that sacrifice and that forgiveness can be found in God. Uh, the Day of Atonement was a solemn day. Uh, it was the only day that the high priest can enter the Holy of Holies. Um, and during that day, that's where you had the two goats, one that they'd sacrifice and one that they'd they'd have as a scapegoat. Um, in uh, Leviticus 17, we see the uh, sacredness of blood. Um, so the value of life is measured in the blood. The blood of Jesus is far more valuable than the blood of a ram or a goat or a quail or whatever. Um, only the precious blood of Jesus could provide or make for eternal atonement. It's not the blood in the veins that atones. It's the blood on the altar that atones. Uh, and Jesus' blood was spilt effectively for all of us. And then you have the next section, laws of behavior. Um, don't eat blood. Don't be sexually immoral. Love God. Love thy neighbor. Um, distinctness to characterize the priesthood, worship God in his appointed way, and do justly. And then they had, um, in the next one, five, um, laws concerning special times. So they had the sabbatical year. Um, that was every, um, every seven years, the land was to remain fallow. Uh, you weren't to farm it. You weren't to do anything to it. Um, any produce that came up was to be given to the poor. Uh, God would provide all that you needed for the sixth and seventh year in the sixth year. 
And then you have the, um, uh, the, the year of Jubilee, which is the seventh sabbatical year, right? So after seven of those, you have the year of Jubilee, 50 years. Um, and then uh, that's where all debts are canceled. If uh, all debts are forgiven, if you had um, if you'd sold your land because you needed to make ends meet, that land comes back to you. All slaves are set free. Um, it was a year of of, 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 of of rejoicing, of freedom, of rest. And then you have um, uh, number six, <clears throat> chapter twenty-six. You have laws of consequence. Obey obedience brings blessing. Disobedience brings curse. Right. Um, so, application. Jesus was offered. Jesus was our offering. Right. Uh, we have all these offerings that they're talking about. All these bloody sacrifices. Jesus is the one. He is the atonement. Um, he is the perfect uh, and and offering who voluntarily put himself in our place. We see the priesthood, and there's a lot of stuff in this book going about the priesthood and how they're supposed to be uh, conducting themselves and how they're supposed to dress and what they're supposed to do. The priests were just a shadow and a type. Jesus is the only and eternal mediator. His compassion is perfect. The high priest wore spotless dress. Jesus was spotless in his character. And then you have the Day of Atonement. Um, you know, God's justice was meted out in full on Christ. Um, one of the things about Leviticus that, sh- that shows, showed the, God, uh, the people of God is that it was impossible for them to fulfill this. It was impossible for them to make all of these sacrifices and all of these things, requirements that God had. It was impossible for them to do that. They needed a Savior. They needed an eternal Savior once and for all, and that is provided in Jesus. And then we also see blood. I talked about that a minute ago. Um, Blood is very important, especially in this book. Um, So Leviticus points us to Christ through the blood of Christ. Uh, So it's through his blood that we have been redeemed. Ephesians 1.7 is through his blood that we have forgiveness of sins. Romans 5.9, it is through the blood of Christ that we find justification. Colossians 1.20, is through the blood of Christ that we have peace with God. 1 John 1.17, the blood of Christ cleanses us. Revelations 1.5-6, we have privileges because of the blood of Christ. We're sons, we're children of God. Hebrews 13.12, the blood of Christ sanctifies us. Hebrews 10, 19, through the blood of Christ, we have access to God. Romans 12, 11, Christ's blood overcomes, um, makes us overcomers and gives us victory. Revelations 7, 14, it is through Christ's blood that we have everlasting glory in heaven. All right, so the blood of Christ, we see that through Leviticus here with the with spilling of blood and the, all the sacrifices. All right. I'm actually doing pretty good. I didn't go this fast at all in my rehearsals. All right. Can I share one? Uh, sure, go for it, since I have a second. The, uh, 
goat that they would, um, the scapegoat or whatever, that they would lay their hands on and the sins, they realized pretty quickly in some extra Jewish literature, they said that they would do that and they would put their sins on there and they would just let it go into the wild. And one of the fears that they developed pretty quickly was if all the sins of all the people are put on this goat, and somebody finds it later, like a kid, and brings it in, and like all of a sudden all the sins are on this goat, and you brought it back into the camp. Uh, and so one of the things that's kind of recorded is they would do that, and they would be really near a cliff, and they would just let it fall over, and just like, well, that was done. Um, so they wouldn't kill it, but it would, it would. But there was, there's this constant reminder in all of this of like. Our sins need to be atoned for. They need to be. They need to be done. And and there was never this finalized thing. There was never this. It is finished. It was always. There's more. There's more. There's more. And I think as we, as we look and read through Leviticus, it gets really. You know, if you've been reading through it in a quiet time or you know reading through the Bible in a year, it's really hard because by the end of it, you're like, all right, already, I get it. But the reality is, is no, we don't get it. Like our like we need atonement. We need to make sure that that our sins are paid for fully and completely. And the only way we can do that, like Jack was saying, is through Christ. So we have to keep looking for Christ in it. But we also, as we're reading Leviticus, being reminded over and over again, like this is what Christ fulfilled. Every one of these things is filled in fulfilled in Christ. The priesthood, like he he was clothed just like he you know. So there's. You know, you read it like, well, if, if you know, a bar certain body part was crushed of one of these priests, they, they just couldn't do it anymore. They couldn't be a priest. If there was no, well, you know, I can, like, we don't look at that as, as pastors anymore. Like, well, you know, I'm disqualified in ministry because this thing happened. Like, people are like, well, there's forgiveness and all. Like, back then it was like, no, uh, if you had that weird birthmark or you got that weird scar, it's over. You can't serve that way anymore. And so there was just a seriousness that a lot of times in our, in our common culture today, we, we lose, and as we start to look at Leviticus, we start to see over and over again. It's also interesting to see, like, there is no recorded history of the year of Jubilee actually being observed. Like, it was all in there, but there's not really a whole lot of, like, they gave all their land back and did what the Lord said. So... They were supposed to. They were supposed to. And, and the, <laughs> did it, they really did? And it would be a year of excitement and a year of Jubilee if they did it, but they're... <laughs> Yeah. It shows the foolishness and just uh, the foolishness of men not trusting the Lord in his mm -hmm. plans. And we we do see the you know the book of Leviticus has some solemn aspects to it of you know sin, and you see the the the, the need for atonement. You see that we cannot fulfill. Uh, it's constantly there. It's in your face the entire book. Uh, and praise God, we don't have to do that. Just imagine what it was like. I mean, put yourself there. Uh, we got two million people who need to do this. How many goats and rams and stuff? How, how many? It must. It was just they were killing them left and right. Right, blood is everywhere. It was. Uh, um, it was not. Uh, it couldn't have been a pleasant sight. Right. And we're in our society. You know, where we go to the grocery store and we pick up a piece of meat that's nice and fresh and clean. Right. <laughs> that's that's not what they were seeing. Okay? We know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you see all the blood and stuff, right? You don't have blood and guts everywhere. There they did, right? We have a um, hard time getting people to take trash out after a fellowship meal. Could you only imagine <laughs> trying to clean up after this? Yes, <laughs> yes, very true. The, all right. The woman who touched Christ's garment. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I don't want to get into it. I, a woman who was separated because of blood or discharges mm -hmm. in your bed and all that, that's, I mean... I think we look at it as 
how serious God took your your cleanliness. Mm-hmm. And uh, but one of the aspects that was shown to me recently is she didn't want to touch Christ because she would make him unclean. Mm-hmm. So she just touched the hem, the bottom, and uh, and Christ makes a big deal of it. Mm-hmm. Power went out from me. Who touched me? You know, and. Uh, but for her to be healed like that, and for him to then reach down and touch her, and, and the the uncleanness is now on him, mm-hmm. and it's devastating. I mean, if you think about it, if if anyone who was unclean, um, you know, they had psoriasis, right, <laughs> or whatever. They were they were banished, right? And that was tough. Um, and so, uh, you know, Jesus came to fulfill that, and His mercy and His grace, His love for that woman, for the for the leper, and for those outcast, uh, puts that into a, a whole new light. All right, numbers. <clears throat> All right, so numbers. The book of Numbers has an intimate connection with Leviticus, yet it's entirely different. Right? So Leviticus is about the believer's worship. Numbers is about the believer's walk. Leviticus is about purity. Numbers is about pilgrimage. Leviticus is about spiritual position, and Numbers is about spiritual progress. Leviticus is about our condition within Numbers is about our condition without. Leviticus is ceremonial. Numbers is historical. Leviticus has the sanctuary as prominent. Numbers, it's the wilderness. Leviticus emphasizes privileges. Numbers numbers emphasizes responsibilities. Leviticus calls us into fellowship with God. Numbers calls us to faithfulness to God. Leviticus emphasizes the priests and our access to God. Numbers emphasizes the Levites and our service to men. Numbers used to uh, not go by the name Numbers. We call it Numbers because of the, I think, the Greek translation of it. And and they did it that way because you had the census in the beginning and you had a census in the end. So there's two census uh, given in the book of Numbers. But it used to be known as the journeyings. Um, so uh, it was a book about the journeys of the Israelites. It also used to be uh, titled Murmurings uh, at one point in time. The Jews would have, would have used that as a, as a title for it. And that's, those, are, those are appropriate titles because the book is really about the journey of the Israelites and, uh, and their murmurings and their complaints constantly to God. So we look at the outline. Um, at the very beginning of the first 10 chapters, we have preparations for leaving Sinai. Right? So they're, they're about to go. They're supposed to go to the, the promised land. Uh, they're organizing the camp. Uh, their men are numbered. Their war people are numbered. Um, and um, uh, they, only, they only did the census on the, the, the men capable of war. We can then um, uh, determine that they had about two two and a quarter, two and a million, somewhere around there, people. Um, 
legislation for the people uh, where it was given. Uh, you know, they had rules regarding lepers and trespass against a fellow um, husband and wife, Nazarites, things like that. Uh, they had provision for service. Uh, they, they had a dedication, um, anticipation of the march, and they, they started out. So um, things are going fine. From Sinai to Kadesh, it starts to fall apart right away. Um, so they leave, and then immediately, um, in verse 11, or chapter 11, verse 1, they start complaining about the hardships of the road and about the food, right? Um, and about just everything. Like they're saying, if, if I have to eat manna one more time, <laughs> where's the where's the garlic? You know, they, they want the garlic, and I'm, I'm all for that. Where's the onions? Where are the leeks? Where are the, where's the meat? Um, and so now they're lusting for food, um, and, uh, and God graciously gives them, uh, gives them quail. Um, and then, uh, I had it down to read that, so let me see if I still want to. Yeah, so um, that's, a, that's Numbers 11.4. Uh, the rabble with, with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, If only we had meat to eat. Uh, remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. The, also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now we've lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. Okay. God was providing food from heaven, right? Manna, and they're getting sick of it, okay? Um, and so they wanted something else. And then you have um, uh, sedition of, um, of Aaron and Miriam. Uh, they, were, they, 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 they fight against Moses for a bit. Uh, they, Mary, they get slapped down. Miriam gets leprosy. Moses prays, prays for her, and she's healed. Uh, that's my, my summary of that. Um, and then you have apostasy. Um, the... Uh, uh, that's the most probably one of the more famous sections of Numbers. Um, the Israelites are, are, are uh, about to enter, and what do they do before they enter? They send out spies. Uh, you have the 12 spies go out, and they see the land flowing, milk and honey, and they come back, and, uh, and how do they report? Giants. Yeah, giants. It's an awesome place, but we can't do it, right? And uh, so 10 of the 12... Um, uh, you know, spread the story of, of this. And the Israelites were afraid. Um, and, and they did not trust in the Lord. And they were afraid. And they said, um, essentially, uh, if we look at uh, Numbers 14, 1 through 4, um, that night, all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in the desert. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land? Only let us fall by the sword. Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? So they were um, rebelling against God. And what we see here is, uh, you know, they're overcome with fear. They wouldn't trust the Lord. And we must be careful what we say in the presence of God. 
What did they say? Would rather have it. <laughs> you got it, bro. Exactly. You'd rather die in the wilderness? There you go. All right. Um, and so then we have the next section. Um, it's from Kadesh to Kadesh. Right? What happened? They wandered aimlessly. Right? So chapters 15 through 19 occupy 37 years where they're just walking around in the desert. All right? They're going from one place to another. And they die. Right? All of these people die. One thing that, that's not commonly known is, is, what about the ten spies? What happened to them immediately? What happened to them? They die in the desert? No. They died before the desert. <laughs> God said, you know, he took, he took them to account for, for that. Um, Jacob, um, I mean, not Jacob, uh, Joshua and Caleb, uh, they survived, obviously, and they were able to go into the promised land. Um, so then they get back to Kadesh. Um, and so the, the next section there, uh, chapters 20 through 36, um, you have Kadesh to the plains of Moab. All right, so um, here um, they, uh, they, they, they travel and such. Uh, you have the story of Balaam. Uh, that's a pretty cool story. Can't go into it, but um, pretty cool story. Um, and then they do a census again. Numbering the warriors and such, <clears throat> and uh, and they make preparations to go enter into the promised land. Who's going to get this land? Who's going to do this? Who's going to do what? That kind of thing. So, what lessons can we get from Numbers? In Numbers two, we see that there's strength in organization, so they organize everything. Numbers three and four, we see that uh, every person has a job. Every man has a required task to perform in the kingdom of God. Number six um, is where they have talk about the Nazarites and the special laws for the Nazarites. Uh, there you see that there's uh, special tasks require special consecration. The main lesson, though, in all of Numbers is this. To, believe God's, to disbelieve God's power and to disobey God's commands is what keeps the people of God from their greatest blessings. To disobey or to disbelieve God's power and to disobey God's commands is what keeps the people of God from their greatest blessings. Nothing kept the people of God from entering the promised land except their own fear and their lack of trust in the Lord. <clears throat> we also see in Numbers that God is really in the midst of his people. Uh, you see the deliberate placement of the tabernacle in the center of the camp. You see the ark leading them, the cloud. Um, Numbers 7 uh, is, uh, is one of those chapters that you read, and, and it's like, oh my goodness, right? They, they, it's the, it's the, these gifts are given, I think it's by seven uh, different princes or, or elders or something, and they list the same gifts. They all gave the exact same thing. And it's a paragraph each time. And it's like, why not just say they gave, say, you know, why, do you have to, why not just say so-and-so, 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 so-and-so gave these things, right? Um, and uh, I think the takeaway, uh, as I was hearing somebody else say, is that God notices in detail each individual gift by his people, given by his people. Um, and so he took the time to note out exactly what each of them gave. Um, we see that in Numbers 16 and 17, when God's people are true to God's word and will, 
he vindicates them. Um, number 17, or I'm sorry, numbers 19, we actually see, so in Leviticus we saw blood everywhere, right? Um, in 19 we see a lot of blood, but we also see the concept of spilt blood and washing clean coming together. So being able to be washed clean by the blood. Numbers 21, 4, we see a pretty good picture of Christ in that, in that passage or that chapter. Uh, that's the plague of the fiery serpents. Um, you know, the serpents came on them uh, for their rebellious acts and whatnot. And a lot of people were dying, and they cried out to the Lord. So Moses made a serpent out of bronze and put it on a pole. Uh, and that signified uh, the defeat of their enemy, the snake. In the same way, Jesus was lifted up as evidence that the serpent, our true enemy, is defeated, Satan. Um, there are a couple of theophanies in, in Numbers. Um, uh, one was when the, the Lord visited Balaam. Uh, I can't go into the story, but Balaam, you know, the story of Balaam uh, going on the donkey and the angel stops him. Well, that angel was Jesus when you, when you really look into it. That was a um, pre-incarnate uh, visit of Christ. And then Numbers 24, 15. Let me see if I want to read that one. Okay, so um, here we see a prophecy of Christ. This is Balaam uh, making a prophecy of Christ. And um, uh, Numbers 24 starts off with an oracle. And then you see in verse 17, it says... Um, I see him, but not now. Behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. He will crush the foreheads of Moab, the skulls of the sons of, 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 uh, of Sheth, and it keeps it going on. Um, this is um, a reference to, to Christ and his, his prophecy of coming again. Um, all right. That's numbers. Anybody have any questions or comments about numbers so far? It's one of the things that we often hear people who are struggling with their faith say is if I could see the Lord, if I could see some of the miracles that He did, I would believe. And I, I think Numbers is the perfect example of no, you wouldn't. Yeah. Because um, you see, like, this, these are people that watched the Red Sea part. They walked through, they saw Mount Sinai, they saw, like, the Lord descend upon it, they saw, like, the hand of God at play every morning. They saw manna. Yeah, manna, like rain from heaven. They saw the, the this pillar of day and night, and it, like the Lord was dwelling with them, and they still were like, nah, I, I'm not gonna believe. And, and so like there's this this idea of, we have it so much better. Like we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. Like there's there's oftentimes we we forget how. Well, when we read, particularly when we read numbers, we can look at it and say, you know what? Like, this is my own heart. This is what I, this is how I'm tending to go. This is, I, I can relate to these people because I'm just like them. And Christ is, is somehow allowing me to get past this through the power of the Spirit and what a, what a gift it is that we live in a different time. And that and their clothes never wore out and their shoes never wore out. It's like, how did that work? Yeah. Good, good. And we do... Um, uh, see a picture. Anytime we see Israel grumbling and they're stiff-necked and they're, you read it and you go, come on, stupid, right? It's like, 
that's me, right? Um, every time. Uh, so uh, we, we do the same thing. Anything else? Yeah, I mean, I probably, yeah, I mean, I don't know exactly what the distance is and how far they could cut, they could go, but certainly wouldn't take 40 years, right? And so they were certainly wandering around from one place to another um, intentionally. That was their punishment. Um, all right, Deuteronomy. <clears throat> All right, so Deuteronomy is um, an interesting book. Um, so Moses is writing this book. It's a remembrance um, of the past and such, but he, he writes the book of Deuteronomy, um, and I'll go into that in a second, a little bit more of it. But uh, at, if you at Deuteronomy 31, 24 to 26, Moses instructs the people that when he finishes this book, don't put it in the ark. That's where they used to keep those things. He said, put it next to the ark. Put it somewhere else. Um, and it's like, why? Um, and Moses is wanting to, uh, you know, he's, he knows that this book is going to bring, um, he, he knows that the people are going to stray. Okay? And he knows their heart already. And so the book is lost <clears throat> for a long time. 700 years. And in 2 Kings Two or twenty-two, one through thirteen, we see that the book is found, and that's in the in the in the reign of Josiah, and they find the book. You know, they're they're doing some demolition to something or doing something. And they find this book, and they bring it out and they read it and they go, "Oh my!" And they bring it to Josiah, and he says, "Oh, oh no, we're not following this," and a revival takes place in Israel. Um, through this book. Also, <clears throat> 700 years after that, roughly, Jesus comes in, is, is in his temptation. At the end of his temptation, Satan comes to him and tempts him three times. And Jesus gives answers all three times from the book of Deuteronomy. Okay? So this is a powerful book, a good book. Um, the book of Deuteronomy means second law, so it's really the <clears throat> second recital of the law. Uh, the book of Deuteronomy is actually quoted more than any other Old Testament book in the New Testament. All right, so, um, all right, so what is the setting? The book is written right at the border there. They're, they're about to cross over <clears throat> into, into, uh, into the promised land. The whole book of, of, of Deuteronomy is written to convey one, one lesson. That is, you must surrender entirely to your covenant God and obey Him. Obey, and everything will go well. Disobey, and you will be cursed. That's the whole point of the book, all right? It's also Moses' farewell. It's his farewell address to the people he loves. Deuteronomy is very similar to Leviticus, uh, but Leviticus was written primarily to the priests, and, and Levites about the ceremonial things that they had to do. Deuteronomy was more for the everyday person, how you live your life in a holy manner, in everyday life. Also, in Deuteronomy, we see, we see some clarity uh, that, that wasn't given in some other, other passages, like 
um, when Moses, uh, I believe it is in Exodus, they choose the elders and such. Um, uh, in Deuteronomy, they actually add instructions. There's instructions added for those elders. Um, and uh, we saw, you know, when they when they when they send spies to um, to check out the land um, in Numbers, we don't get a we don't realize though that the spies. It wasn't Moses saying, "Hey, let's send some spies in there." It was the people wanting to to do that. It was it was the people that wanted to to send those spies. So we get a few more ideas, um, clarifications in, in Deuteronomy. All right, so the outline. Deuteronomy is essentially a, a, a remembrance of the past. Moses lets history be the teacher. He reminds them, reminds the people that when we obeyed God, he blessed us. When we disobeyed God, he cursed us. Therefore, as you enter the promised land, remember this and obey God. Okay? Um, he gives commandments for the present. Uh, you have the, uh, I don't know how to say that, sign, whatever, the sign, the law of Sinai, we'll say, um, uh, and the special laws um, concerning religion, government, and such. Um, the main body of, of the book uh, is, is here, um, and those, those are instructions on how to live acceptably to God. Uh, he reinforces that the Ten Commandments and the laws that were given at, the, at Mount Sinai are, are, are as relevant to the Israelites at that point in time, the second generation, as they were to the first generation. So don't forget them. Live them. And then the next section, <clears throat> chapter 27 through 30, uh, we see options affecting the future. And what we basically see here is there is no middle ground. You either have God's blessing or you have his curse. That's Deuteronomy 28, 1 and 2. Uh, or actually, in Deuteronomy 28, 1, uh, Deut Deuteronomy 28 is pretty cool. It talks about the blessings, and then it goes through and, and talks about all the curses. And the curses and blessings are both individual and communal. And then you have the final section. That's the parting words of Moses. Um, and if you think about it, Moses is... Um, uh, He's been leading these people. He's been putting up with these people, and he can't go in the promised land, right? His final words are words of, uh, he, he sings a prophetic song, uh, and, and they're words of hope, of joy, of satisfaction in the Lord, um, not of bitterness, not of resentment, not of, man, if only, right? So God, or Moses, was faithful to the very end. <clears throat> All right, so key points in, um, in Deuteronomy. So the motive for obedience is that we have been redeemed, right? So God has done something for us, therefore live accordingly. Obedience and covenant are linked uh, very, very clearly. Uh, Deuteronomy 6, I don't have time to go into it, but in Deuteronomy 6 we see the Shema, a pretty cool section of, of, of Scripture um, where they calling to the, to the people. <clears throat> Um, Deuteronomy is the Bible's full-scale ex explanation of covenant. Uh, there's a unique God who has set his love upon people who are therefore who become unique. Uh, they're bound together in a unique relationship, father to son. 
Therefore, they must walk in a unique way. Um, how do we see Jesus in the book of Deuteronomy? Uh, uh, yeah. So, a couple places, uh, as, as opposed to throughout. It is all throughout. Uh, they have cities of refuge that are set up. Jesus is our refuge. Uh, Deuteronomy 21, 23, this talks about the curse. Uh, Galatians 3.13 says that Jesus has become a curse for us. Deuteronomy 18.13 is talking about um, the only way you can know the future. Like uh, back then they had, you know, we still have people today. You had the witches, you had the tarot cards, you had the uh, fortune telling, all that kind of stuff where they want to find the future. And uh, in that passage they're saying there's only one way to know the future and that is through prophets. And prophets are only found in Israel. Um, and um, and then talks about the only only true prophet, the one prophet coming. You know when um, uh, when people saw John the Baptist, they went to him and they said, "Are you the prophet?" That's what they're referring to right here. Um, they're referring to this prophet. Are you the prophet, the returning prophet, the one that's coming again? And um, uh, and no, he wasn't. Jesus is the prophet. Okay. Um, and uh, that's what it talks about in verse uh, 18, verse 15, and 18. So, there we have Jesus in Deuteronomy. All right. I did it. I got it all done in 43 minutes. Um, so, praise God. Any questions um, about any of, these, uh, any of these books or passages? Any comments? Any, any thoughts? This is kind of the do good, get good, do bad, get bad. It is, it is. Uh, but it's also filled with um, pointing to Christ and and you it's grace. You know, you're saved by grace because there's no way you can do good. Um, and that's the whole point of of this is to weigh you down and re- and, and let you know and, and make you recognize it's not me. It's never been me, it never can be me. It's Christ, Christ alone. Okay. I always thought it was unfair that Moses didn't get to go to the promised land. Yeah. But then, you know, he, he actually did make it to the promised land. The real promise. Yes, he did. And, and maybe God put in here that reason seems unfair. The law won't get you to the promise. Mm-hmm. This is just in his thought. But you think about it, the law won't get you there. And yep. Moses is associated with the law. And then who leads him to the promised land, which we'll say next week is Joshua, which is the the, the Hebrew name of Jesus. Yeah. So yeah, it's kind of exactly. interesting if you look at it that way. You always you know, focus on Christ in the Bible. And why did Moses not get to go? Because in a moment of weakness, just he's just things are going along, and he gets ticked off, and he says, "Bam!" He doesn't do what God told him to do. I mean, just a slight little thing, but he lost his temper. Okay. He had to be in the, trans, the Mount of Transfiguration. Yeah, he did. He did. So. All right, well, let me pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll go to worship. Lord, you are good and gracious. We thank you for providing Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the atonement for our sins. We rest in him and him alone. Help us to honor you and worship you this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.